0: Good morning, everybody. Why don't you go ahead and stand and join us. We're going to kick this morning off with some singing together. Feel free to sing along.
1: We're going to start with some.
0: a minute but if you notice there's a couple stations at the four corners of the room and that's because on the first of the month we always take time uh for communion and i was praying through like i feel like i share about communion a lot so i was praying through like if there's any like what to say that is different than anything i've ever said before and the reality is like there isn't like there's only so many ways to talk about communion but as i was praying about it and just kind of asking god to just I feel like a lot of times i need to boil back down to like what's the heart of this what what really is this about because we're great at mindless traditions people we don't we don't struggle with that as people we do stuff all the time without thinking but like what is the heart behind this and i was as i was kind of just thinking and praying about it it's so interesting because early church like you wouldn't do anything like this like people it's so funny people get like stuck in like well, you know, you gotta have a holy person who blesses it and they give it to you and you eat that. Or we pass it down the aisles and we judge everyone who doesn't take up an element and takes part in this giving. It says a lot about whether you're a sinner or not, you know, like, or for us, we do this and people get, you know, like, well, that's the wrong way to do it. But the reason why we do it, I mean, cause really we just invite you to participate, to bring it back, but the whole point is early on It was around a table, it was was like dinner. It was family, it was a relationship. You didn't do this with a group of strangers. You did this with people that you expected to do life with, that you expected to see in the kingdom of heaven, that you wanted to see impact in their lives. And this is where it was important because relationally, the whole point of this is that it's meant to bring us back to where we are relationally with Jesus. The same way that when you sat around that table, if you had unresolved tension, you felt it. Everybody, Anybody ever had unresolved tension or sitting around the dinner table, like Thanksgiving or Christmas time, or just whenever you feel it. And you can't just let that go unresolved. You can't just pretend like it's not there. You can try, but it is awkward and exhausting. And the reality is that when we come to the table t- this morning, No, we're not gonna. We didn't put together a huge table for us all to sit out and enjoy a relational feast and a dinner to remember the act of Jesus. But what we are doing is creating an opportunity for you to do the same thing. To come back and maybe you do this with your spouse, your family, your friends who you came with, someone that's next to you, or you do. You can do it alone. I think our culture tries to be far more individualistic. Well, it's just between me and God, and I'm like, that's great. But really, it was a dinner. It was a feast. It was a time of relationship. And scripture was clear that this was a time of recognizing in the same way that we do this because we, it helps us to constantly remember, yeah, I need to get my relationship right. There's, there may be some tension there and I need to touch base with Jesus before we move on. Is the same thing that helps us to remember that when you're sitting and rubbing shoulders with people next to you, I got to forgive them the same amount that I need Jesus to forgive me. And so it starts to help create a peace in our hearts that every single one of you, whether you've asked for it or not, has the opportunity to be forgiven from Jesus. No matter what the worst thing is, our most shameful act, our most embarrassing secret, the most humiliating aspect of our life, handled. And then Jesus says, okay, now in relational community, do this together. And you got some beef with somebody, deal with it. Deal with it. Get your heart in a place. So this morning, we're going to do exactly that. For Throughout the next two songs, I would say don't rush this. But throughout the next two songs, find your way to any one of these stations. Bring it back. And with you and God or whoever you're doing this with, remember where God has brought your heart, what God has done in your life, where God has set you free, the shame that is being removed from your world so that we can turn around and offer that and become a united family, a church, the bride. And it brings whole new meaning to this whole experience. Whole new meaning. Can I ask you, don't go through the motions. You'll miss out. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to, to remember, to participate, I pray that we would just find ourselves that If there are people that you are bringing to mind that we need to resolve things with, that you would help us to give us the courage and the strength to do that. But God, I think more importantly, it starts with us with you. If if there are things in the way, Father, rather than feeling condemned, judged, pointed out, I pray that we would hear the voice from the cross that says, forgive them. Jesus, Help us to experience your character, not religion, but the man who walked on earth and loved sinners, and sinners loved you as well. Let this be a moment that re-engages our heart with you, where heaven touches earth, and we experience the freedom and the joy that only comes from the good news. We thank you. Lead us.
1: in this room miracles happen
2: on sing that out this morning if you believe that there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me oh you're coming after
1: me there's
2: no wall you won't kick down lie you won't tear down coming after me
3: Good morning, Journey Church. You guys can go ahead and take a seat for me. My name is Shane. I'm going to be talking to you guys about giving this morning. Um, so if you guys are like me, you listen to podcasts. I know you're like, oh, millennials, I hate those. I can't have a very good conversation about the last book I read, but I can talk to you for hours about podcasts that I listen to. So recently, I've been listening to a podcast by Church of the City New York, Um the head pastor of that church, his name is John Tyson. I think he's a really smart guy. Uh, I think he's a great communicator. I love listening to his podcast. He's like right underneath like Dave and Ty Elmore. Like he's like, they're up here. Then it's like John Tyson theologian. He's great. Um, he recently, so he started off this year at his church um, with a, with a sermon series called the Jesus stuff. And I thought that was super interesting. And Um, So I listened to that series, and it it stuck with me all the way until now. Um, But the basic idea of the series was that we live in a world that is in need of the stuff of Jesus. We read about Jesus' life. We can look at Scripture and see what happened and how, like, these events that occurred, um, but sometimes there seems to be this, this disconnect between, like, the culture that we live in today and what we experience in life, um, and what we read about when we read about, like, the stuff of Jesus. So, my tithe message is really, really simple this morning. I really think that tithe is a really practical way that you can participate in the stuff of Jesus and bringing about the stuff of Jesus here into the world that we live in, in a world that's desperately in need of it. I. My heart is super heavy this morning, and I, I've had multiple conversations. You guys have probably had conversations um, about the Gabriel Fernandez docu series that came out. Um, if you haven't watched it, I do recommend watching it. But it's it is hard. It is difficult um, because that's that's home. Like I I'm watching this series, and and I and I know I drove past like this little boy's apartment where he was getting just treated so horribly, um, and even worse like we live in a in a city and in a place where that's not completely over and that's not like maybe not to the same degree but that's like some people's reality some kids reality still to this day we have like one of the highest rates of kids in the foster program we have like some of the highest rates of domestic violence and abuse um and it just it just broke my heart to watch it not only for gabriel but also just because that's still the reality of some people's experience like here um in the antelope valley and so no i don't think that tithing or giving your your money to, to Journey or to a church in general is gonna fix every single thing in the world. But I do believe that that is an active way for you to join in in bringing about the Jesus stuff into the world around us that desperately, desperately needs a move of Jesus. Culture is constantly telling us like, look out for ourselves, keep your money for you, save up, make sure you're safe, make sure you're good. Um, but that's the very culture that some of these things were produced in. That where This is the culture where an eight-year-old boy can get tortured and killed uh, by his mom. And so we desperately need to counter that culture. We cannot, we cannot be people that fall under the culture and just follow blindly. We have to be a people that, through, whether it's through your generosity, whether it's through the words that you like, choose to use, whether it's through the actions that you choose to take, take or participate in, we have to be a people that, that decide that we're going to bring about the Jesus stuff because it is accessible. Scripture is clear that heaven can come to earth, that heaven can be experienced here, even in the Antelope Valley where it seems so dark sometimes. But right now, in the current moment that we live in, heaven is brought about through the people of Jesus. The stuff of Jesus is brought about through the people of Jesus. Um, I dream of a day where the Antelope Valley is actually like a safe haven for people because the people of Jesus that are here right now completely flip culture upside down. And, and I don't, like I said, I don't think that, that tithing is the end of that, but I do think that it is a way to actively participate in that. Um, whether it's, yeah, through our generosity, whether it's through our attitudes, whether it's through how we just treat the people around us. If you're really great at giving, awesome. We all, I think we all can find areas that we can continue to actively participate in bringing about the stuff of Jesus into the world we live in. Um, and our world just desperately needs. There's a couple ways that you can give here at Journey Church. I just want to look at the screen. Um, You can give in person today, cash or check. You can go online at avjourney.com. You can text this mobile um, number and set up a giving through that. And also, my favorite way is our newest way, which is the Zelle app. Um, You're going to use our email. It's giving at avjourney.com. And you can set up a recurring gift. You can just do a one-time gift. You can do different different amounts every time you get you know paid or whatever if you're like me I my paycheck is not the same every time I get paid so I I have to do a little calculation every single time Um, but the Zelle app is really cool because every single like if you do if we do use an app or a texting thing or whatever um, they all kind of take their little chunk of out of it so the Zelle app is really cool because it's completely free everything that you do give goes straightly to the thing or straightly goes straight to the thing that you're giving to Um, so that's my favorite way as the ushers come forward I just kind of want to pray for our home. I want to pray for us as a, as a community of believers. Um, just ask God to move. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that we have a place to come to that where we feel comfortable, Lord, and where we can just experience you, where we can experience community, where we can experience family, Lord, where we can experience uh, connection, God. But the reality is that we live in a place where some people don't get to experience that, Lord, where some people actually have a very dark um, and horrible experience, And they feel like they're never going to get out, Lord God. And so I just pray that you would put it on our hearts this morning, God, whether it's in generosity, whether it's in our behavior, whether it's in our words, Lord God, or just um, our character, Lord. I pray that this morning you would move in us, Lord, and and make us more of the people that bring about the Jesus stuff into the community that we live in, into the world that we live in, God. We're so grateful that we get to participate in your move here in the world, Lord. Um, And I just pray that you would move powerfully, Lord God. I pray for the Antelope Valley. I pray for the kids in the foster care system, Lord. I ask that you would move in their lives, Lord God. I ask that you would pour out your Spirit and rain it down upon this place, Lord God. That this place would be transformed because you, God, transformed it through your people, Lord. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the buckets are going around, I'm gonna invite my friend Talia to the stage. She's gonna do announcements with me. You guys thought you were gonna get rid of me? No. Hello. Okay. Um, hi. Hi. If you're... Thanksgiving message. Oh, thank you. Message. Um, <laughs> No big deal. Um, I'm just like shaking. It's not a big deal. Um, if you're in fifth and sixth grade, thank you so much for joining us for worship. You can go ahead and head out to the lobby if you're going to go to the class. I'm teaching your class, so you can hang out out there and wait for uh-huh. me. I will be there in a second. Um, also, we have a new room for moms that are that have infants. If you're nursing, um, right off those doors across from the nursery. We have a room set up just for you. If you feel like maybe you need a little bit more privacy, uh, there's a live stream connected up in there and you can still be connected to the service. It's just kind of a little space for you to, to be by yourself, to have a little bit more privacy. We also have a like J Kids lobby that's under construction right now. We're really excited about that. Um, and we're hoping to have that up for you really, really soon. Yes,
2: and also if you're a visitor, welcome. We're glad to have you here. Um, we have a gift for you at the hot spot, so go get it before you leave. And also, while you're there, you should uh, sign up to get our Journey newsletter so that Absolutely. you could be in the loop of everything that's going on, all the events and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. And why do I what Oh, and that's why I forgot because I'm nervous up here. Because we need volunteers. If you want to do announcements, or maybe you got some music skills, you want to be in the worship team or anything. We need ushers. Everything this place runs on volunteers so yeah. if you're interested um, get over to the hot spot too and that's
3: all okay and <laughs> you guys can go ahead and stand up yeah. and say hi to someone around you yeah. um, and as Dave gets to the stage yeah. makes his way <laughs>
4: I'm Dave, and if you're new to Journey, I'm one of the pastors, and I want to welcome you. You came at an interesting time. We're in a topic right now called EXO. It's a series on relationships, and this is, a t- this is a series where actually today we're going to be, let's talk about sex part two. And so if you missed last week or the first couple weeks, be sure and pick that up on our website. You can go to avjourney.com. You can catch uh, the whole service. Uh, the video there will be as well as the podcast. First couple weeks were really foundational. At Journey, we don't think in terms of individual messages because we can only get like 40 minutes worth on a Sunday, but we think in terms of series. So you can get a a full kind of concept out of a series. So we invite you to be a part of that. And also, parents, this is PG-13 today. So if you've got little ones with you, you need some people are really put off by it. It's like, don't talk about that here. This is, you know, that, that's kind of a private thing. That's a personal thing. And um, some people, there's a lot of, there's excitement. Yeah, I can't wait to try it. You know, some people, it's more like um, fear. It's, it's kind of like pain. It's regret. Some people, because of abuse or background or stories or your own back, uh, relationships, it, it could be a bad thing or a good thing. But no doubt, the word stirs some kind of response or some kind of emotion, right? It's all over the spectrum. And let's be honest, from the time we're kids, we're really curious about this subject. Reminds me of a kid that came to his dad one day and goes, Dad, where are we from? And dad goes, oh no, you know, it's time. And he looks at his son's like, well, he's kind of young, but you know, you did ask. And so he starts kind of biting his tongue because it's awkward for parents to talk about such an intimate thing with their kids. And so he just kind of like, okay, we're just going to roll it out. And so he starts talking about the birds and the bees and first base and second base and third base and home base. And he goes into all of that. And when he finally gets done, he looks down and his son's sitting there and he goes, oh, okay, because Joey's family said they're from New Jersey. I just wondered where we're from where do we come from? What's the point of this? What's the story we're in? If you buy uh, the concept that we get in culture, you get one view. If you come to it from a religious background, you get another view. And can I just say, honestly, to all of you today, I recognize that we come from all over the map and all kinds of religious traditions, non-religious traditions, and some of you are, um, you're not in a Christian movement. You're not a Jesus follower. You're discovering. Maybe you're invited by a friend. Um, you were set up. I'm sorry. Just kidding. But we're excited you're here and you are welcome. But I just need to say honestly that this is a, conver- it's a family conversation about a really important topic that Jesus and his followers have said some really important things about. And I want to be really, really clear on this as well. I don't come to the subject as like some kind of expert that's kind of preached down to you. And, and te- I'm just telling you that as a pastor, I know there are some things that are so critical and that there's a, God has a vision for our sexuality that is absolutely beautiful and life-giving. And that's what I want for us. As Christ followers, we've come to a decision that we're going to take Jesus and His words and the scripture as the ultimate truth source. And so for those of you who may not be church people, well, you're just eavesdropping today on a family conversation. You're welcome. Again, this is, this is directed specifically at the Jesus apprentices in the room where people are like, I want to live in the ways of Jesus. I want to experience life that he offered. I want to know what it means to have eternal life with him. Well, this is what we're talking about. And again, no judgment. If any of these things seem to hit a little close to home today or seem to have a little um, more resonance with where you're at my heart is as a pastor and i was talking with lauren and we were talking earlier and just this idea that if i saw you were headed towards a light at the end of the tunnel and i knew that light was an oncoming train i would tackle you to get you out of the way if i knew you were in you know you were sailing into waters that had terrible rocks and i had been through some of those waters i would be so quick to caution you and sometimes that's what this role is so today for some of you it may feel like a caution and just again receive it in love everywhere we turn we get the message of sex i was reading this week usa today did an article that reported that 70 percent of the content on our tv screens at any given week has sexual connectedness it is innuendo it is outright directly conversation or visual 70% of what we're getting through our TVs has sex connected to it. I read also that if you combine the revenue of the National Hockey League, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, all streams of income to these great powerhouses in our world, they do not rival one year's income of the porn industry and the sex trade industry. That's how powerful this issue is. And it's amazing how some people just feel like, oh man, we can't talk about that. But my point is this, where do we talk about this? We have to talk about this. Um, This, in fact, is one of those subjects that I feel like if we don't talk about it at church, where do we talk about it? Because nobody else is going to give you this perspective. And um, it's really, really critical that we take an image from where we have an idea, where we're getting our ideas from, and we at least own that this is where I'm coming to this from. And this morning, a little glitch on my screen here. I just want you to know that for me, um, I know some of you are single, and some of you are, you're curious about what the Bible says about sexuality. Some of you don't really want to know what the Bible says about sexuality. You're doing fine on your own. Some of you, maybe you're married. And uh, let me just tell you that statistically, marriage is one of those places where you're going to find the most challenge about your sexuality. It's also the place people report the highest level of satisfaction with their sex lives. Number one, always, is in married life. But there's also a lot of pain about that. Because we come into marriages two separate individuals from very different backgrounds. We have different bodies, different ideas, different experiences. Um, there's been abuse in some people's lives. There's all these things and it can get really complex trying to meld these two lives together under different ideas and expectations and so we're gonna talk about that in a whole topic a separate message but I believe because our culture is so sexified man this is the place we address it and so the question I'm answering today and addressing is what do people who claim to follow Jesus do with their sexuality what is God's vision of our sexuality. And again, this is a continuation of where we started last week, and I'm going to pick up from there. So last week we started in Genesis with the very creation, and we basically talked about the idea that God created sex. First six days of creation, he created all the animals and plants and sky and all the sun the moon stars, all these beautiful things. At the end of every single thing he created, he goes, and it was good. Morning and evening, and it was good. Third day, fourth day, fifth day. It was good. And when he gets finally to this moment in creation where he brings Adam and this new partner, this counterpart Eve together. And they come together in physical, sexual union. There is a oneness that takes place. It's called Echad where the two become one. And God says it is very good. This is the crowning moment of all creation. God created sex, and he did it on purpose. It wasn't an accident. We didn't surprise him when we came up with it. He designed it, he created it, and he said it is very good. <clears throat> and in the, pro- in the program that he's created, in the way that in the relationship he created it for, it's beautiful. The other thing we said about it is it's powerful. It needs to be understood, it needs to be managed with great wisdom and care, because it is powerful. And so we come from this concept of echad, that's where I want to start today, that God said, "I want to bring two of you together, I'm going to make you one. This is His dream, God's this is God's design. God's vision for our lives is that we not be alone, that we share it with a partner that we have a God. So we're going to pick up in First Corinthians because after Genesis, many, 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 many years later, a guy comes on the scene named Paul, and he is an apostle, a follower of Jesus and he writes some letters. And this is perhaps the first of all the letters and all of the New Testament that's actually recorded and distributed. First Corinthians is one of the first few books that is like widely distributed. And so we're going to start there. We're going to be in chapter six. And just quickly, um, to bring you up to speed, a little background. Corinth was kind of like the Vegas of their day. All right. It was kind of a wild place. It was a Shipping and um, commerce magnet. It was basically built on a peninsula separating two seas. So thousands upon thousands of sailors and merchants and travelers, all from throughout the Roman world, would come through Corinth. And Corinth began began to have a really loose view of morality, and they pioneered some of the concepts that we find um, later on. Um, it became a hub for prostitution, progressive sexuality. As a matter of fact. The name Corinthian was so associated with this type of view about sexuality, this loose view of sexuality, that they were, it, it was a slang word. To be called a Corinthian was to mean you're a prostitute or have loose morals. So it was, a, it was rampant in its progressiveness, much like uh, California and coastal cities here. So we're going to read from chapter, uh, verse 9 on. So chapter 6, verse 9. Paul says, <clears throat> Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And okay, wrongdoers, before we go too far, that is like that is like a bag of all kinds of things. He's going to give us a handful of the things that fall in that category, but certainly not all of them. You can find all those <clears throat> in Scripture, but Paul's like, here's a whole bunch of the things that disqualify us from life in Christ, right? He said, do not be deceived. Don't kid yourself. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men idolatry is people who worship anything besides the one true God. <clears throat> it could be sex, it could be another God. For adulterers, anybody who's married and has sex outside of marriage, men who have sex with men, thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you oh here's the big word were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul's starting out with saying, okay, for all of you who've been indoctrinated, you've grown up in Corinth and you are in this society, you're in this culture that has this really, really strong view that it preaches about sexuality and about what life is and how you find eternal life. It has all these different ways. It proclaims you'll find fullness of life, happy life and all these things. He said, there's a way that God has prescribed. And it actually is very different from the way you've been taught. You have come from a background. All of us come from a background. Folks, I find myself on this list. Some of us, we like to point at other people's stuff on this list. But Paul's like, listen, I'm just hoping to catch all of you because I think you all need to know we were all separated from God because of sin. All of us. And yours may be one of the ones that's like, oh, man, people, if they only knew. But let me just tell you, Paul was just saying, hey, we're all in the same bag. But there's a were in there because all of you who have entered life in covenant with Jesus, in other words, I covenant, I give you my life, I'm going to apprentice to you, I'm going to live your life, I'm going to follow your teachings, I'm going to walk in your ways, I'm going to put my trust in you both for my eternal life and for the life I'm living now. For those of us who have stepped into relationship with Jesus, we call ourselves Christians or Christ followers, this is a covenant relationship where we have the were attached to whatever you name yourself. If you're a liar, if you're a slanderer, if you stole stuff, if you cheated on somebody, all of this stuff is a past tense, you were, but you're new. That's incredibly good news. And so then Paul goes into a little Q&A. So what he's doing is here is the Corinthian church, he had started this church and then he'd gone on to plant other churches in the area. And as he's traveling, he's having correspondence back and forth with the leaders of this church. And they're bringing questions to Paul about how to live in this new way of Jesus when you come out of a culture like Corinth. And so he's doing a little bit of Q&A and he's telling, okay, this is what you've heard or this is what I hear you're saying. Here's my response. So this is where we pick it up. Paul is not saying, hey, I have the right to do anything I want. He's quoting what they're saying and he's responding to it. So he says, hey, I know that you say, I have the right to do anything you want. If you can come uh, verse that verse, that'd be great. <clears throat> I'm going to read it together. But not everything is beneficial. All right? I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. There we go. Paul's saying, you say, I have the right to do anything. I'm a grown-up. All right? Nobody tells me what to do. I'm my own person. I have the right to do anything, he said. But, but listen, Paul's saying, as your, as your pastor, I want you to know, Not everything that you want to give yourself to is beneficial. Uh, But I have the right to do whatever I want, you say. But he said, listen, but as followers of Jesus, I've chosen not to be mastered by anything except King Jesus. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Again, that's the quote that you guys use. But I say, (coughs) I say, the body, however... It's not meant for the sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Okay, a little bit more background to make sense of this. So Corinth, where it's, where it's located, it's 50 miles south of this other place called Athens. Athens, at this time in the world, in the Roman world, this is the center of philosophy and education and all of kinds of Greek belief. It's the epicenter. Great thinkers from, like from Plato to Aristotle and all these guys come out of Athens. And it was also the birthplace of this belief system called dualism, which basically means that you, they believe that you are a physical being, but a spiritual essence occupies the body. In other words, your spirit, your two parts, dualism, your spirit and body. And by the way, the spirit is the only part that really matters. This is why Plato said, the body is actually the prison of the soul. Because the soul, to them, is the part that mattered. So your body was really of no significance other than it housed your spirit for a time, and then it would be free. But one of the, dual, the, the dualism beliefs is that to be freed from the body, just you know, the spirit is what needs to be set free. So because of that, people in Athens, and then it trickles down, of course, to Corinth, which is their next-door neighbor, were saying, Listen, it doesn't matter what I do with my body only my spirit really has significance god wants to care for my spirit that's what i relate to god with is in my spirit and paul's like hey wait a minute this line of thinking has now seeped into the church and he's saying wait wait this is not true it does matter what you do with your body your body and your spirit are they're linked together in a way that can never be separated You cannot remove the link between your body and your spirit. They are together. Right? This is why it's a big deal. And they're like, wait, hey man, what's the big deal? It's just physical, right? Just biological. I mean, I have a stomach. I get hungry. I eat. I get thirsty. I drink. I get horny. I find somebody. We have sex. What's the big deal? It's just a physical expression, a momentary experience that brings me pleasure. So why the big deal? It's just biological. Nothing more. To that, Paul says, listen, listen. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. He's saying, listen, your body was what God gave you. It's the instrument. It is actually, it is the way, it's the temple that you live in, and it's the only place you experience the reality of God. It's in your body. This is not what you're created for. Your body is part of you, and the phrase sexual immorality here is the Greek word porneia, which of course is where we get pornography and this is a broad broad it's like the junk drawer it, it, it all the different things of sexual uh, impropriety fall into this category of cornea which basically means any sex outside of marital sex is immorality he said it's it's sexual immorality and that could be you know just you name it it refers to sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or friends with benefits or casual sex or hookups or tender or whatever, prostitution, porn, um, watching trashy stuff on TV or strip clubs. He's like, all of this stuff that is not in God's vision of your sexual life is porneia. It's It's destructive to you. It's not God's plan. As a matter of fact, it's killing you, your spirit. And let me just say this, Paul's point was this, all of these things are a cheap substitute for the real deal. It's, it's like, unless you've ever had fine food, you know, then Twinkies or you know the garbage cupcake stuff that you get at, at the grocery store. I mean, that's great until you realize that you've had really, really fine foods and you're like, oh my gosh, that was just like a sorry substitute for the real thing. This is what he's saying. God's vision for you and for your sexuality, it's so beautiful and so perfect. And it literally does lead to the happy ever after that you're buying a cheap substitute if you buy into these. And he's warning us that that is absolutely robbing us of the joy and the fulfillment and the life that comes from walking in Jesus way so your relationship with God takes place in your body yes your spirit is there but your body and your spirit are linked and right now you're experiencing God you're experiencing kingdom you're experiencing life and right now your body and your spirit are communing with God's spirit in a very powerful way and that's why he said man what you do with your body matters verse 14 He goes on, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also, he will raise us also. Paul is hearkening back to Jesus' resurrection and saying, God's plan is to resurrect us all. That's the plan. We're going to go into that series after this one, the return of Christ. But this one, he's saying, your body will be resurrected. Your body wasn't just a temporary thing that God gave you for a moment, and you're getting rid of it. You actually have, you are going to be resurrected in a body. Now, true, it's going to be a renewed body, but nonetheless, your body is that important that God is not only going to give it to you for now, it's God's going to give you a forever body. Your body and your spirit are that important. So don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall, shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? He's like, never. Are you out of your mind? So obviously people in Corinth were participating in the cultural ways of expressing their sexuality. They were having prostitutes and sex gatherings and orgies and these kinds of things. And Paul comes into this. He says, listen, listen, this is a really big deal. Your sexuality is absolutely central. It is united. Your body and your spirit are one It's not just physical. It's not just biological. It's more than that. And so when you do these things and you say, hey, it's just sex. It's not just sex. We love each other, right? We've been dating for like two hours now. I mean, what's the big deal? I was like, next line, verse 16. He quotes directly back to Genesis 2. Do you not know? That he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. Notice the language. He's like, you're, you're coming together. You are literally with that person. For it is said that two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. He's like, okay, so your spirit and your body, you're hooking up your body over here with a prostitute. And your spirit has been united with Christ. Well, guess what? Since those two can't be separated, you're bringing Christ. Your spiritual life and your physical life are colliding. Now Christ is uniting through you with this prostitute. He goes, this is really perverse. Do you understand what we're we're talking about here? Do you get it? Sex is about more than just sex. Because in sex, two people are becoming one. Now, God's view of sexuality is so much higher than our society or our culture's view of sexuality. God's vision for this is so much more beautiful, pristine. It's like just breathtaking when you capture it, when you see it, when you experience it in those moments. It's easy to miss this with all the negative rhetoric about church and their views, their antiquated perspective on sex and all this. It's, It's easier to miss this in our culture, that we think, oh, it's just biological, whatever. This momentary coupling, he's saying, oh no you are literally knitting your souls when your bodies come together you are knitting together that part of you that is beyond sight that's much deeper <clears throat> and, and, it's, and God says so it's so much more two autonomous human beings are fused into one and it's fusing of two people body and soul and then in the marriage you're refusing well you're reconnecting over and over that's what brings it back together. That's like this beautiful deepening intimacy and trust and and vulnerability and joy and delight. It's physical and it's spiritual, and there's no way to separate this. This is one of the major mistakes I think we've made in the church in recent days by by taking our cues from culture and saying, well, hey, let's just do what culture's doing, which, by the way, how's it working for them? And it's like this is a devastating thing that the church is now saying, hey, let's you know we're a few cult- we're a few decades into this. Um, Uh, perhaps our views were outdated or we're just naive or just old tradition and so we're walking so many that's essentially my statistically Christ followers nowadays are almost indistinguishable from anybody outside of the church in their sexual lives and this is it's literally mind-boggling for somebody like Paul he was experiencing the same thing then yes sex is play and yes it's fun and all that but it's more than that it's powerful it's two becoming one. So, there's no such thing as casual sex, he would say. Sex involves involves all of you. That's why, and and again, can I just tell you that I have a front row seat to this whole conversation. For 35 years I've been doing ministry and counseling and taking care of people who come to me with these views and their views so often permeated by the cultural views, their parents' experiences, what they've experienced through media and all these places. They're playing these out with their lives and they come with these fragmented, shattered pieces and they're like, it's not working. You know, we're doing everything, you know, our neighbors do the same thing or people at my work do the same thing, everybody on TV is doing the same thing, but it's not working. We're in odds and we're headed for divorce or my life, I feel so guilty, I have so much shame, I'm so depressed, I feel so alone, All of these conversations that come back to this one thing about understanding who you are, what story you're in, and what design you have. It's kind of like taking a beautiful piece of china and using it, you know, to, to batter something because you're like, well, you're using something for its unintended purpose and you're destroying it in the process. The beauty is breaking. When I see this, folks, here's what I experience. That when people come around and they, and they bring their life, their vision, and their experience to God, and He begins to remake them, this all becomes new. Sex is a deeply connected thing. I have people sitting across from me that tell me about their pain and their brokenness. And we have couples that are dating and living together, and they're like... We know, and they admit, people have told us we should break up years ago and we shouldn't be together, but, you know, there's just something that keeps bringing us together. Yes, your body and soul have been net together. That's why you feel connected to that person. Guys in the locker room, when I was in high school, you said, man, I want a piece of that, talking about a girl or somebody, and they're like, and that's essentially what you're getting. You're getting a piece, a piece of them. It's like two pieces of paper glued together and you tear it apart after it's dried, and it's like the pieces do go with each other and the sides will never come back together it's kinda of like that's what it is that's why marriage is this beautiful package that brings together this glorious thing sex is like gravity in marriage it just it brings you back into orbit around each other I mean you, you feel reconnected at the deepest level that God of God and did you know that God commands sex like that he wants us to participate as married people regularly Paul goes into this in just another chapter, back in, down in chapter 7, he, he tells us that married people have like willingly offered their bodies and that that's meant to pleasure and to enjoy and that we should do that frankly, all, I mean frequently, lots of it. Seriously, if you're, if you're married, man, the way to fight off pornea and all these other temptations is to have a great sex life with your spouse, to have sex a lot. You're like, that's in the Bible? Honey, we're going to start reading the Bible in the evenings, I think. Where was that passage again? Chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. So this is what makes sex so fantastic inside of marriage. Because it's literally coming together of two people. It's being known and it's knowing and being known. Loving and being loved. It's like lifting and encouraging and seeing. And it's like, and, and just being able to live through. So there is, once again, no shame. There's joy and delight in this thing that God gave us. Because what we know is that Paul's saying this all is headed somewhere. It's not just momentary experiences. This is all taking us, it's forming you into something. Therefore, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All those things we talked about before, he said flee from that. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. When it comes to pornea, he said don't just walk away from it and say, yeah, I probably ought to stop that. He said, run for your life. It's that important. And what an interesting way to put it, Paul says, when, when I step outside of God's relational framework for sex, which is, you know, in the plan of God, we read about it, marriage, man and a woman coming together for a lifetime, in that, that commitment of till death do us part, sickness and in health, all those things. And think about, think about what a powerful, beautiful thing that is. It's kind of what we dream of. But I want to tell you one of the things that, and I want to spend a little moment on this, that is eating away at our view and our heart for the vision of God and our sexuality is this pornography that has come on the scene in the last um, generation. And again, pornography has been around, if if you talk about statues or pictures or these kind of things, images, been along a lot longer. But for a person like myself, and a boy growing up in the '60s and '70s, I mean, if you came across something, you know, graphic like this, it was probably a Playboy at a buddy's house. His he's like, "Man, my dad had this in his closet. Look at this. Do you believe this?" I'm like, what? You know, it's like, what is this? I've never seen this thing. You know, and it's like that was an awakening for a boy in my generation. Now you compare that with an 11-year-old who has free access on his cell phone to the widest variety of pornography that's ever been entered into the minds of men and you have, this is what we're dealing with in this generation. A person who came across a few images by accident in my lifetime and a person who's got unlimited access to pornography 24 hours a day in this generation. Jan Meza, she writes commentary about this, how porn distorts us, and she basically said in one quote, porn is a sickness. It's when a healthy Sexuality is distorted, and and it becomes sick. Now, Chris Hedges, in his book, Empire of Illusion, said this, the largest users of internet porn are between the ages of 12 and 17. And porn producers increasingly target adolescents. Porn targets the mid-teens to the mid-20s. Folks, the people being gobbled up by this, this vision for Free sexuality is not those adults. It's the children that are coming up under it. The number one searched porn term in all of pornography is apparently the word teen. That's where it's headed, and that's what it's aimed at. And they've got a whole culture of people who are now preying on the innocent and the young through this medium. So this is a culture that we live in, and this is the first time in all of human history that a generation has come up that has literally been saturated. It's literally like they've been marinating their brains on these violent and continuous misogynistic images of sex. And this has a tremendous formational impact. Science tells us basically there are three ways it's impacting us. It impacts us personally. People say ah, oh, there's no harm, harm, I mean, it's like one person wants to do what they want to do. What's that mean to anybody else? Well, if you are in relationship with another human being or you hope to be it actually is rewiring your brain for things you do not want them rewired for your neural patterns sexuality produces all of these hormones among them are like dopamine which is the reward center of the brain it sends out this delightful response to certain experiences like pornography or sex, and it's like, whoa, I just did something amazing, and it rewards that. The brain center is rewarded, and so what's rewarded, it gets repeated, so they go back to it, and back to it, and back to it. And that's where we find ourselves. But what happens, like any other kind of addiction, is that it's called the law of diminishing returns, that going to that same place doesn't give you the same reward after over time, so you have to go further and further and further. And so sexuality and even, you know, Hardcore pornography is no longer enough, then it has to add something else and some other twist and some other aspect. And so basically what we find is they said that the go-to place right now where it ends, for whatever reason, and I didn't get to this in my research, whatever reason, the brain, for some people, sexuality has been linked with violence, and that is what is an abundance, I guess, in throughout all of pornography is violence-connected sexuality because it has to go to a certain place at some point and one of the ultimate places is violence to another in sex and the brains of our generation up are being rewired in this mindset rewiring because they fuse together what fires together, wires together so when they see sexual images and violence together, it wires together as a vision of what sexuality is it changes not only ourselves it changes our relationships porn changes what we want in people study of 16 to 18 year olds, high school kids recently showed that participants reported learning the majority, the vast majority, almost everybody in the survey said they learned how to do sex by watching porn. And most of the young ladies were saying that they were then put in awkward positions to have sex in very awkward and terrible ways, have experiences they never would have submitted to because their boyfriends or or their significant other is playing out some image they saw in porn. And so now they are having all kinds of shame and physical damage and faking sexual responses, consenting to painful and horrible things because they think that's what sex is. It's distorting our relationships. People in marital relationships who participate in porn find themselves more and more incapable. You know why Viagra and all these things are more and more on the scene? It's not always because of prostate trouble. It's because people have so addicted themselves to the... To pornography that normal sexual relations aren't enough. It takes something more to stimulate. So it's affecting the marital bed. Porn is distorting our culture. It produces depression in men and women. It produces deep addictions. Recent study found that 60% of all couples that were divorcing in this survey, the majority of them, one of the partners, was addicted to pornography. And it was a major rift in the marriage. We're, we're just feeding misogyny, And there's this intersectionality between sex trafficking, abuse, and all of these things and pornography. They all are connected. So folks, I say all that not just beat up and just to stand on my pulpit, a high horse or anything, but I'm just telling you, this is eating us alive. It's eating our children alive and it's going to get worse. Pope John Paul II said this, there is no dignity when the human dimension is eliminated from the person. In short, the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much of the person. It's that it shows far too little. You don't see the person. You see the parts. You don't see that person as a person. It makes them an object of pleasure, pleasure, a tool of satisfaction, and it's deeply formative. So, folks, as I wrap up, I know this is heavy stuff. I know this is not pleasant stuff to just sit around the table and talk about. But can I just tell you that I, I have no idea what your personal story is, but if you're like the dozens, literally hundreds, if not more, that I have sat across the table with, I've shared life with, I have helped to walk through the struggles with, this is a deeply personal thing. And there are people in this room that are experiencing a whole lot of embarrassment and shame and difficulty and brokenness because of that. And you, some of you, have learned the hard way. And if you, could over, if you could go back and do it again, or if you could warn somebody else that's coming up, man, you, you would just tell them about the damage and the pain that comes from taking the cultural view of sexuality and living it out. But listen, there's good news. There always is good news with the gospel. There's always good news with Jesus. Sex is powerful, but King Jesus is more powerful. Do you not understand? He said, you have been bought with a price. You are the Lord Jesus Christ." And what he owns, what he, what he takes possession of, he wipes clean of all past. The reason we do communion is a weekly, I mean a monthly reminder that you have been washed for all of you who have stepped into that relationship. The Bible says if you confess your sins, you, God is faithful to forgive you. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness, all of it. And then he invites you into a relationship where you can experience new life. And I just want to tell you that I have got to see, as a pastor, not only the brokenness, I get to see the healing as God brings people into His circumference of relationship. He brings them into His world, into His influence, under His leadership and Lordship. And when people surrender to that and they begin to walk in that, there's healing, there's beauty. I came across this art that is now becoming a beautiful thing called Kintsugi. It's a Japanese art form, where basically an artist takes broken things and with precious metals and the most beautiful and rare substances of Earth, they weave them together into things that are even more beautiful and precious than even the thing was before. And there are these concepts that the Western culture is all about. Throw it away. If it's broken, get rid of it. If you've got, a, if you've got damaged parts, then you're replaceable. And that's what happens in relationship after relationship, and life after life. But I want you to know that Jesus is not into throwing away broken things. Jesus is all about restoring, renewing, making beautiful, making more precious than ever before anything that's surrendered to him. I just want to tell you that all of us are in the position of broken pieces and what i just invite you to do today as we close is just to bring the parts of your life your past your history your dreams your future desires and just bring them to jesus and under his leadership and under his lordship to find yourself a brand new person leading a brand new life it's nothing to be wasted it's nothing to be thrown away your life is meant to be The vision of God for this kingdom, this generation, just like Shane said a moment ago, there's a world out there that's dying for life. They're dying for it. And you have the opportunity to experience it and to live it, to offer it. I love this vision. That you can't mass produce this kind of thing. Only Jesus can do it. And I just want to invite you to prayer today. As the band comes, I just just want to wrap up with this this moment of response where we get to think about our lives and we get to just bring them once again under the leadership and the vision of Jesus. Jesus and Heavenly Father as we come man we have been so so sold down the river by some of our cultural values and vision And, and some of us in this room are deeply wounded and have had so much pain because of it. The promises do this You'll experience life, the full life, the best life, the best possible life. Nobody's telling you what to do. You can do anything you want. But through Paul, you just basically remind us that, yeah, we're we're free agents. You gave us freedom, but not all of that leads to life. In fact, some of it actually destroys us. And God, there's people in this room that have experienced all kinds of different things. And my prayer today is rather than judgment or some kind of um, condemnation, that they would feel hope that wherever they are in life right now, that the vision you have for them and their life and the story that you invited them into is the most beautiful thing in all creation, that you can make all things new. Thank God that the world that we're moving into is gonna need people like this, that journey, every church has to decide what kind of church they'll be in, that journey would be that, that church that really decides to declare just boldly and lovingly your way of life, And we ask, Lord God, you would guide us in this. I just pray right now for anybody who needs healing, hope, and restoration, you would move in their life and draw them to you. For those who need help from addiction to this, Lord, the thousands of resources out there that they would connect with a counselor, with a circle of friends, and they would begin to get help. God, for all of these things, we come to you for healing, for restoration, and for renewal. And we ask, Lord, that you would lead us as we continue our series next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, would you stand with me? We're out of time. We're going to worship together before we send you home. Let's sing.
1: One thing was still You receive it, singing. It. Come on. Miracle.
0: So go and be blessed. Enjoy your Sunday. We look forward to seeing you guys next week as we continue on our series. Have a great day.